Folks, this is Places for a Top of Show. Places, please, for Top of Show. Welcome to Waiting for Places. Hi. Hi. Okay, my first question, Elizabeth. Tell me your life story. Who are you? How did you come to be in this place on a beautiful day in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where it is not snowing? Um, well, I started out in middle of nowhere, small town of Arkansas. Uh, my mom was a theater teacher uh, and an art teacher, so I kind of got a very artistic upbringing. And then once I graduated high school, I moved to Fort Smith, Arkansas, which is a slightly bigger town <laughs> in Arkansas, um, and started out as an acting major and realized that that was not the path for me at all. Uh, kind of fell in love with backstage and they just happened to need an ASM for one show and I got the bug. And here I am uh, some odd years later, I've gone to grad school in Kansas City um, with an emphasis in stage management. And then am now in Tulsa, Oklahoma as the production stage manager for the Tulsa Ballet. Okay. I have so many questions. Um, why did you decide to go to grad school and why did you decide to go to grad school in Kansas city? Well, um, Oh I, wait, first Kansas city, Kansas or Kansas city, Missouri, Missouri. Okay. Kansas city, Missouri. Um, well, I got through my undergrad and I realized that because it was a general theater, um, bachelor of arts that if I was going to pursue stage management like I wanted to, I probably needed a little more hands-on experience, which can be given through grad school. And I did the thing that a lot of undergrads do where they go to Erda's, they interview with everyone. Um, I actually went to the Erda's in Chicago. Um, so uh, I did, I don't know, I, I want to say seven different interviews with different colleges, ranging from UMKC in Kansas City to Irvine in California. And what it ultimately boiled down to was that the UMKC program had only took four stage managers a year. It was a two and a half year program. They gave you opportunities to work with the 10 or so theater companies while attending grad school. And it was only five hours for my mom. So... <laughs> Um, and then at the time, uh, my boyfriend and I were uh, long distance relationships too. So that was, that was also a driving factor. Absolutely. And then what drew you to ballet? Well, my undergrad really shaped how um, I'm, I pursued everything. Uh, in my undergrad, they did a lot of movement-based theater. Um, so think Circus Delay meets Blue Man Group. Mm -hmm. um, every now and then they do a Shakespeare. Every now and then they do a Tennessee Williams. But mainly it was that movement-based theater. And I realized that I really like calling things to music. I really like the improbability, the moving around, um, and just the freedom uh, to express yourself that dance has and my grandmother can't always hear the best when she goes and visits theaters um, so the fact that she could sit in the audience and go I know exactly what's happening I don't need words it really kind of drove that um, and then once I got to grad school 
they had an opening for a production assistant at the Kansas City Ballet. And I was like, can I please be on that? Uh, little did I know that I would also become the child wrangler of 200 plus kids. <laughs> like, Ooh, was it Nutcracker? Was it good old Nutcracker? It was Nutcracker. <laughs> uh, and then what drew you, because now you're in Tulsa doing ballet. So how did you bring those two together? Because also, so you went from, I'm doing a map of the United States in my head, right? You went from Arkansas, north and west over to Kansas City, and then you went south to Oklahoma yeah um well ultimately um after I graduated grad school I had done a lot of internship PA things uh with the Kansas City Ballet I freelanced for about a year realized that freelancing was not for me um and an ASM position opened up the Kansas City Ballet so I was like yes I'm going to take that um and I'd been with them for two and a half years when COVID hit. With COVID, uh, they deemed that because they weren't going to be able to do performances, they didn't really need an ASM. So my position was dissolved, um, which left me unemployed, went back home to live in my grandmother's old house. Um, and then I literally applied to everything that I thought I had, um, that I thought I could do a good job in. And one day in September, I got a call from Tulsa saying, Hey, do you want this job? And I was like, yes, please. Um, because it, it was a, a job that I felt like I could do. It was the step, the next step for an ASM ballet. Uh, uh I'm sorry. Let me try that again. A ballet ASM. The next step is for a ballet PSM or a ballet stage manager. So I was like, this is, this is where I'm headed. This is the trajectory that I'm on. Let's go. I mean, there's no other jobs in the U S right now either. So. Right. And what are you liking about Tulsa specifically? Are you finding your way there? I also know that it's what, six months since you moved there. And I know from when I moved to New York that it took six months to find friends. I bet it's even harder to do in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, it's it's been very weird to move to a new location in a pandemic. Um, when I moved to Kansas City, within like six months, I had gone to all like the touristy things, and I had that under my belt to kind of get me into the city, I guess. Uh, and I felt like I was a Kansas City, Kansas Cityan. I'm not sure what the, the phrase is, but. Um, Moving here in Tulsa in September, I still haven't seen everything because there's a pandemic. Um, there is a mask order in Tulsa County. So they, and everything is really pared down to where you can only have like 20% um, mac, like filled in different, like the zoo, the aquarium and uh, different uh, activities that you could do in Tulsa. So I really haven't done anything except for drive around. Um, so most of the people I interact with are at the Tulsa Ballet. Luckily, they have a really nice blend of like millennials and Gen Xs and uh, Gen Zs. So like I've got a nice group to choose friends out of. But I, it, it's been very difficult to to kind of get used to Tulsa 
in a pandemic. Right. Absolutely. So it sounds like it's fair to say you haven't fallen in love with Tulsa yet, but you're not, you're not, not in love with Tulsa. You just need a little bit more time. That That's absolutely fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about your job because you were probably one of the few people that got a job in the, a performing arts job in the middle of a pandemic. Um, we're recording this literally like less than a week after the one year anniversary. So first of all, congratulations, you got a job. I'm super excited for you. But then what does that job look like in the middle of COVID? Are you doing performances? What what are you doing? Are you going into work? Are you sitting at home and sending schedules to dancers? Well, um, we're actually, Tulsa Ballet is one of the only ballet companies in the U.S. that is actually working in person and performing in front of live audiences. I think we're like one of three. Um, like it is so mind boggling that the COVID plan that they came up with actually has worked. And we've only had, I think six cases since September and nothing went to an outbreak. Everything was contained. So like, I was just like bamboozled at the fact that it worked. Um, but in September, I started coming to the office every day. Um, the dancers are broken up into three company pods and one TV2 pod, um, which is the second company. Okay. And what is what is a pod? Does that mean they all live together or is it? Well, the pod is, so we have different color pods and they're made up of eight or 10, depending. A lot of them are roommates or they are uh, husband and wife or they have work together so much that they really trust each other. Um, or some of them live in the same building, but not necessarily the same apartment. Uh, they worked really hard to separate the dancers into who can dance well together and also who is in a close proximity to one another. Um, there is some uh, discrepancies. Uh, some of our TV tours live with the main company. So like, there's some pod contamination there, but it's it's very minimum when it does happen. And um, so we have the pods, and they interact with each other via Zoom, um, which was a whole new ball game to deal with because a lot of our dance masters they are not very technological forward. Um, it's it's kind of their enemy. So it's wait, I have questions. Yes, I'm sorry. So interact with them via Zoom. Does that mean the dancers are in their homes dancing and there's a dance master shouting at them via the computer? Originally, that's how they did it. But when I started in September, um, we have seven studios. Um, one studio is the yellow pod. One studio is the red pod. One studio is the blue pod. And one studio is TV2. So... You have um, a dance master assigned to each pod that kind of works with them. And then we've been zooming in choreographers from around the world. So they've been choreo like doing choreography on dancers that they never actually be get to be in the same room with, <laughs> which can be challenging. Right. And is it because, does forgive me, I know very little about ballet and oh, almost nothing about Tulsa Ballet in particular. So does Tulsa, do you focus on new works or are you like doing Tchaikovsky Sleeping Beauty and someone is 
choreographing that through Zoom? Normally, in a pre-pandemic world, it would be um, mostly classical ballet with a little modern. Since uh, COVID-19, it has been all modern new pieces. Um, because you can't really do classical ballet when you're staying six feet apart. <laughs> oh, um, so the dancers, even in dancing, have to stay they, six feet uh, apart. They stay um, socially distanced unless, of course, they are married or live together or um, in a relationship. So, so any pairs dancing, you have to physically be in a prior relationship. What if you start a showman's? What? what if there's a breakup? What happens, Elizabeth? So far, there hasn't been. Um, it's been a very big concern of mine. Uh, but no, like everyone has, they've been working together. There hasn't been any showmances or like breakups. They've been working together really well. Um, I know some people aren't necessarily the happiest with the pod they ended up with, but overall, there's a lot of friendly um, energy that happens in every pod. So, thousand wonders that it didn't go bad. <laughs> so, right. Okay. So, you've got ballet dancers dancing in studios, choreographers zooming in. The dance master is in the studio with the pod, mm-hmm. and the only pairs happening are if you're in a physical relationship with your partner, or or their roommate, or their roommate. Yeah. Okay. Are they wearing masks while they dance? They are. Okay. So we have, um, we have a, well, resident's the wrong word. Um, We have Dr. Jaggers, who is a um, pandemic specialist that works with us. Um, She, her parents are donors to the ballet. So she is doing this as a favor uh, to the Tulsa Ballet. So she has been answering all questions we have, which have been abundant. and she has kind of worked with us to explain, okay, once your mask gets stamped, you need to switch it out. Um, when you're dancing, you should have this kind of mask uh, when you're doing performances and so on and so forth. So they have, we have two different sizes of masks that they wear when they're rehearsing. But once their costume masks are finished being created, we advise them to start wearing those because they are a little differently like created a little differently. They got like that page in them and then the fabric that comes around. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they have designs on them just depending on the piece. So, Costume designer is going to costume design. Yeah. Um, okay. And then you said that you had had six cases of COVID, but it didn't lead to any breakouts. So what happens? I assume that means that there's testing continuously. Yeah. Um, we try to test uh, every few weeks. Um and we have a a pandemic pod as well. Uh, so if anyone is thought to have contracted it or uh, been exposed to it or say that they had to travel for some reason, they go back to their little pandemic pod where we have a separate studio where we put anyone who might think that they're contagious or have been exposed in that uh, studio so they don't interact with anyone. So it's it's worked out uh, fairly well, and we're actually, um, I think on Wednesday, we'll have, all the dancers will have the first round of the vaccine as well. 
Yay. Congratulations. <laughs> but you. just the dancers, do you get your vaccine? Um, I, I have also gotten my first uh, vaccine and I know a lot of our uh, ballet masters and uh, administrative staff and school staff have also, they, they were in that first round. They were old enough to get that <laughs> um, just right as it came out the door. Right. That's great. Yeah. And then, so sorry, I keep going back to, if someone is tested for COVID and found positive, do you then have to quarantine the other members of their pod? Or if, if the other members tested negative, are they still good to go rehearse? Um, they, if they test negative, uh, they are good to come back into the studio. Um, Dr. Jaggers has kind of advised us on that, that if they test negative after, I believe it's two days after the initial exposure, if they test negative, then they can go back into the pod. But if they test positive, then they quarantine for 10 days. And in that time, we have them zoom in from their home. Um, and they're still, so they're still a part of the rehearsal. They're not missing anything. It's just a little less convenient because a kitchen cabinet is not equivalent to a bar. Um, uh, but yeah, that's kind of how we've uh, worked with that. And it's seemed to work pretty fine. Mm -hmm. And then what are what are you doing because you've got your dance masters and your choreographers and then are you sitting there like tracking props well um a lot of the the pieces that we've done have been very modern and haven't needed props um the first performance we did required a lot of lemons actual uh, lemons actual lemons okay i was really hoping that was a metaphor nope uh it was a Annabelle Lopez Ochoa piece. Um, she absolutely loves her props. And she loves her props to be real if they can be. And it turns out real lemons are cheaper than fake lemons. <laughs> so it worked out fine. Uh, but during that piece, it was a lot of, Elizabeth, you need to um, like wash all these lemons and make sure that they are sterile. Everyone gets their own little Ziploc bag that has their name on it. So no one touches each other's lemons. Um, I've been manning the Zoom. So if there is any Zoom question that pops up, they can come over to the mic and say, Elizabeth in Studio C, something wrong. And I get up from my office and then I go and I, I try to fix that. Um, we do have K95 masks that we can wear. Um, so that way we're not cross-pollinated when I do cross-pollinate um and a lot of it is just sitting in front of the computer making sure that our choreographers who may be using zoom for the first time are getting everything they need our dancers who are working in studios and our dance masters who are using zoom still fairly new uh to it that they're getting everything that they need and then tracking any props say lemons and making sure that they're not getting touched by anyone else that they're staying clean that they're staying sanitized um and then every morning i go through and i make sure that we have our sanitation stations um packed so we have like our germex our lysol our um our alcohol to wipe down the bars um and then i work with the janitorial staff to make sure that the floors are cleaned in between uh, classes just to make sure that there's if for some reason a dancer licks the floor like they're not going to get it <laughs> silly dancers um and then 
I have so many questions. Again, so many follow-ups. Um, how did you have to go through a COVID compliance officer test or a certificate or anything? Um, I did not because uh, by the time I joined the Tulsa Ballet, they already had a COVID compliance officer for the ballet. And then our union that we work with, the IATSE union, they already had a COVID compliance officer. So I was not needed on that force. And are you AGMA? Or are I'm you? Not. You are not. Okay. All the dancers are, uh, but I am not. Right. Is there anyone else on your stage management team or is it just you on Zoom? I, I have a production manager, but he, he really is doing more production managing things. Um, uh, for our Christmas show that we did, I did bring in an ASM. Um, it was called the Lost Nutcracker because we couldn't really do the full Nutcracker. Um, but she uh, had to take a test to make sure she was testing negative. And we have a COVID questionnaire that we fill out every single day to see if, oh, do, are you showing any symptoms at all? So I worked with her um, on a a contract capacity. Mm-hmm. And then when you move into performance, because for was your Christmas show in front of an audience, a live audience? We had an audience of, oh, I feel like I'm going to get the number wrong. Um, 200 to 300? There were quite a few. It was a very big venue, though. We rented out uh, the convention center. Um, so we had tiny little stage, lots of spread out audience. Um, and then we also did live streams for that. So in terms of stage managing a live performance that has a live stream, are you doing both or did they hire some other technician to manage the live stream? Well, um, our marketing team, our marketing and development team are very um, pro technology and has been very great. Uh, I've been working a lot with our marketing manager, Lacey. Um, she I don't know how she knows as much as she does about live streaming, but she does. And so they're on headset with me um, and she's running um, Streamlabs. And so she's has a hookup to the board uh, for sound. Then they have three, two to three different cameras, one being ran by the ballet master. So you can get like a nice close up point shoe um, where other people that aren't necessarily familiar with the dance gets that nice wide shot. Um, but then she can listen to my calls. She kind of knows when the changes are going to be happening and we can go back and forth and it's like, Elizabeth, why, why is the feed sounding weird? Oh, okay. Well, this is why. Okay. And so it's, it's really beneficial to have her to work with um, because she does understand, Oh, when Elizabeth calls, light Q36, that's when there's a blackout. So that she can kind of get ready for that and work with her other counterparts to make sure that it happens. Mm -hmm. And do you think that the live streaming, that Tulsa Ballet will want to continue the live streaming post-COVID? I, I think we'll do it for a while. I'm hoping that we continue to do it because we have been able to live stream to a lot of the dancers' families that are out of country because um, we have a lot of like European and Asian dancers. So if, if we can continue to live stream to them, like their parents will be absolutely thrilled. And then I know a lot of our donors aren't really quite comfortable coming back into the theater 
Um, our other two shows that we've done have been in our in-studio uh, theater space, which normally holds 300 or about 300, um, currently holds 30. So um, a lot of a lot of people don't really feel comfortable coming back to the theater and wearing their mask the entire time. So a lot of our donors have been doing a live stream and seem to like it. Um, we've been asking them a lot of questions and lots of asking for lots of feedback to go, hey, what do you like about this season? Are you glad that we're continuing to do stuff? Would you rather us just take a hiatus? Like that kind of thing and be very open with them about our COVID situations. Right. And then, um, oh, are you using live music? Do you have musicians? Currently, no. Um, the symphony that we would normally work with, the Tulsa Symphony, they have been performing a lot in the baseball field uh, just because they can't space out correctly without getting in other people's socially distanced bubbles. Um, so we haven't actually found a way to do that yet, but we are hopeful that in September, uh, well, let's, let me back up. Uh, in November, not September, in November uh, for Nutcracker, we'll be able to bring in even a small number of the symphony would be would be ideal. Um, I know that our uh, in-person pianist and uh, music master of the ballet is actually working really hard with the symphony to try to figure out a way so we can get live music again. Right. So it's been a lot of canned music currently. Right. Right. Uh, oh, I had a question and then I lost it. That's okay. No. So it seems like when you were at the convention center, you have plenty of room backstage. To, for different dressing rooms for to keep the pods separate and the I, I assume the IATSE crew was also able to keep their space was yeah. there anything unique about that situation um well the convention center isn't really set up to perf like to do performances um so it was a raised state like platform stage um the dressing rooms were made primarily out of pipe and drape um so they just had to be spaced out quite a bit um so even though the venue was very large and very accommodating um with pipe and drape uh it, it wasn't necessarily ideal for a dressing room situation because it was pipe and drape here's a table pipe and drape here's a table kind of um setup but the IOTC did have their own area where and they had their k95s and their face mask and gloves and anytime they interacted with the dancers, they were interacting with all of those necessary procedures happening. Um, and I, the artistic seemed to really like the convention center because we're going back to the convention center in May for another performance, um, like a week long performance, as opposed to like four performances. <laughs> How long do you usually, is it usually four performances or is it like um, pre-pandemic, what would you do? Pre-pandemic, uh, Tulsa Ballet is, does usually a week to two weeks of performances um, with like the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, current pandemic, uh, we, for our very first show of the season, um, we did 25 performances 
Um, so it was a lot of like, it was three weeks. So it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday for three weeks. Um, for our Christmas show, we did two weekends. Um, and then for signature series, which is the one we just finished yesterday, we did two weeks. So it was right. that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday. Right. And then apologize for how much I'm skipping around, but going back to the crew, did you have costume changes or is it each pod does a yellow pod does a piece and then blue pod does a piece and then red, I forgot the color, red pod does a piece. And you're like, that's the show. Thanks for coming. Um, basically you you have the, you have the right, right idea. Um, the, with the Christmas show, they, they, they did a little more intermingling. So like red pod would be on stage and then they would exit stage one way and then yellow pod would come on the stage and then they'd exit and then the blue pod would come on the stage. So they were never on stage at the same time. Um, and then we would try to clean between pieces. Um, but for our two main company performances for the Christmas show, we did kind of intermingle them a little bit without them actually getting within six feet of each other. Right. And that reminds me, I had a question about the stage because I know the floor that dancers dance on, especially ballet, is so specific. It is. And if you're dancing on a raised stage, I have been on raised stages in convention centers. Those are not sprung wood. They are not. Um, We usually bring in, um, we have the Liberty Travel Floor. Um, It is a very specific type of sprung floor. Uh, and then you put um, the Marley on top of that. So it gives it that little extra bounce back. Um, depending on the type of race for, um, we can usually talk to our Agma representative and say, oh, we just need Meso and Marley, and it's sprung enough already because it's raised. Um, so just depending on how the construction of the raised floor is, um, deems if we need that Liberty floor and then the Marley or just Meso and Marley. And Agma representative, is that staff from Agma or is that someone within the cast? That's someone within the cast. Um, we have two uh, Agma representatives. Um, they are actually both in, both in the same pod. So, um, but they kind of, they uh, get in touch with Dr. Chaggers personally, um, if they have questions or concerns and then um, the Agma doctor for, I'm not sure um, what that title is that she has, but there's a doctor that Agma has given us um, conversations to that Dr. Jaggers and her have actually been back and forth uh, talking, okay, well, this is what I recommend. Well, this is what the dancer's concern is. And then they can kind of duel it out. And the dancers don't necessarily have to be a part of every single medical question. Right. Right. And then when you're performing in your home studio space for a whopping 30 patrons, yeah. um, how does that work backstage? Because I'm sure I've been backstage at a lot of theaters. They're not meant for six feet apart. They are not. Um, I have had wonderful ballet masters who have volunteered to help me clean the floors between pieces. Um, I have the company manager running the rail. Um, because our in-person studio is not 
NIA house, um, we can kind of get away with just using the faculty that we have and the administrative staff. So basically what happens is the we do class. When the stage is set and available, I announce that the stage is set and available for whichever pod. The pod comes in, they do a little bit of warm up, we start the show. They exit after their piece is done. And then once the stage has been, the air has been cleaned, the floor has been cleaned, um, then the next pod, and then I announce for the next pod to come on stage. So um, with the air filtration system that we have in the building, it takes about five minutes for the air to completely circulate, circulate and sanitize. So there are nice little five minute intermissions between each piece where we have our um, artistic staff come out and talk um, and say, hey, did you did you see this? This is what we're doing kind of idea. Yeah, I was going to ask. I was like, do so are those 30 patrons just staring at you as you mop a floor or do they run to the bathroom and come back? Is your poor house manager trying to wrangle like what is or does the audience appreciate the backstage? I, I think they appreciate the backstage um, efforts. Uh, what we usually do is we'll close the main curtain. Um, we'll have uh, a member of artistic uh, come out, do a little bit of talking, uh, saying, hey, this is what we're doing. This is our next upcoming show. This is what you just saw. Um, we have a projector screen on stage as well, so we can open the main curtain, pull down the projector screen, show a video of like how um like fittings have changed because fittings are completely different uh with covid right um so it kind of gives them a little like behind the scene footage while we're still making sure that everything is set up for the next pod and then we'll close the main curtain pull out the projection screen the next pod will come in and so that way the audience isn't getting up or waiting for the audience we're they're sitting there they're being entertained the full time getting little backstage peeps while we try to get everything safe for the dancers. Right. Um, the entire time you're describing this, I'm thinking about the movie Center Stage, which has nothing whatsoever to do with COVID, but came out in 2000 and is one of my absolute favorite ridiculous movies. And I just think about that final scene where they drive a motorcycle on stage and like people are hanging out in the wings. And I just want to know, I want to hear it from a ballet stage manager would you allow a motorcycle on your dance stage? Well, so here's the thing. Um, we are working with uh, Anna, Annabelle Lopez Ochoa again, uh, who really loves her props. Her lemons. Um, in what has been pushed back several times, but COVID pending, um, in February, we'll be doing her new piece, Vendetta, which has a 1950s car an actual 1950s car not a prop drive onto the stage so i have to say yes i would allow it because we're doing it in february i have so many questions where do you put this how is your backstage big enough that you can put a car well i i actually haven't been to the tulsa performing arts center but there is that's that's later this week um uh, but there is space they've they've uh in all the drawings that I've seen of Vendetta, they have a, a little cubby for that car to be in. 
as right before it drives onto the stage. Who is driving this car? That 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 is still to be determined. Um, where we don't have to deal with that until February. So. I know. I'm just now. I'm like, wait. How do you cue the car? Who's driving? It's I. As a stage manager, I'm like, tell me about this car on your stage. Um, that's amazing. And thank you so much for sharing what it's like to actually be back at work with real life people in yeah. front of a real life audience. No, I felt incredibly lucky this entire time. Like the the one company that offered me a job during a pandemic just happened to be the one that is actually doing things during a pandemic. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah, that's so great. Since you've been back at work, have has because you know there's been a culture shift within the performing arts as we're in this great pause. Of course, I'm I'm referencing the We See You White American Theater demands. Mm-hmm. Have has there been a conversation at your company acknowledging that you do ballet and not theater about how to address those demands or are there demands coming from your dancers or? Well, um, we, we've acknowledged that, that for the theater and we do our best to cast with a blind eye. Um, if that makes sense. Uh, a lot of our dancers, um, I think I did the math earlier. We have, about 30% American uh, in our cast of dancers, 25% Japanese dancers, 22% Italians, and then about 23% of them are a mix of Hispanic, Asian, and European. Um, so they're already very blended um, when it comes to what you're seeing on stage and the performance abilities. Um, but What I really love about our assistant director, Marcello, is he doesn't look at the color of a person's skin. He looks at their dancing abilities. So when he's hiring, he's looking, okay, can this person do uh, a pirouette and look beautiful? Perfect. Here we are. Like that kind of idea. But in regards to people of color and the just racism in theater, um, we have actually, we're very, very lucky, maybe is the right word. Um, it might be the wrong word, uh, to be in Tulsa, where a hundred years ago, there was a night, not the 1921 Tulsa race massacre. Um, we're actually bringing in a, the very first black female resident choreographer, uh, Jennifer Archibald, um, to create a piece for the 1921 race massacre. And we're working with, um, the, I wrote it down so I didn't say it wrong. The Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial Commission um, to create kind of a documentary. Uh, and then that documentary will be displayed on projection screens as a background for a dance piece representing how we've, what, what the massacre was and then how we've grown since then. So I think I answered your question. I'm not sure. <laughs> No, you did. And I also, I feel like in my research, I think also one of the founders of the Tulsa Ballet was an indigenous woman. Yes. Yes. I was right on that. Yeah. And uh, we actually have a lot of um, administrative uh, staff that's indigenous as well. Uh, Because again, we are very lucky to be in Tulsa where we do have a lot of Native Americans. We do have a rich and disappointing history for black people uh like we're in a very 
diverse central part of the United States. And so I'm, I'm very lucky to be here and that we're actually not, we're, we're continuing to talk about the injustice done and that we're not going, Oh, that was a hundred years ago. Like we don't need to deal with that, but we're actually doing pieces that are historically significant as well as Nutcracker. Like, right. Well, you got to do Nutcracker. Yeah. <laughs> you have to. You can't, you can't get away from it. Um, Moving to two kind of silly questions, but I love them because I love seeing your face uh, light up when you answer them. Oh. Are you a nerd about? So not Elizabeth, the stage manager, Elizabeth, the person, like, what is the thing that you could do a Ted talk on? I'm, I'm very nerdy in general. Um, uh, my husband and I, we have a collection of board games, um, about oh, 186, something like that. Quite a few board games. Um, uh, we love having board game nights. Um, we He has a collection of like 3,000 movies. So we love like watching movies. We have the Netflix, Hulu, like Disney Plus, HBO, like watching movies, like being a little bit of a foodie, playing board games. Like that is my perfect spare time. <laughs> like, And how do you play board games with just the two of you do you have to like narrow out which games you play or do you convince people to join you on the interwebs um we do have a couple of two-player games they actually have a, a quite a few that they've come out with um there was oh i cannot remember the game company but at the beginning of the pandemic this game company had come out with like oh here's a lot of two-player games that you can get. Here's our pandemic special. And we're like, yes, please. Um, but so we have a lot of two-player games. Um, and then we also, uh, we, we've invited like the wardrobe uh, department to come over because they are also being safe and socially distanced. And we've played games with them. Um, my parents are now um, fully vaccinated. So yeah, I know. So like they're playing and coming up and they're, they're giant board game nerds as well. Um, the best thing is getting my dad really invested because he's very competitive. And he's like, no, like, no, this isn't going to happen. Let me, let me take your railroad. Here we are. <laughs> That's so great. And then what brings you joy? You kind of told me with the board games, but there has to be like, what brings a smile to your face? Let's your, brings your whole face light up. Um, well, I, I have a wonderful husband and a wonderful cat uh, that act absolutely are the best things in my life. And then I just, I love being able to spend a day off with them, just hanging out, playing board games, um, and just enjoying our company. Because, like, my husband's my best friend. So, like, any time that we have a free day where we're both together, it's like, oh, I get to hang out with my best friend. This is great. <laughs> Aw, I love that. Especially that you still call him your best friend after you've spent a whole year in quarantine. <laughs> in quarantine. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that's that's what we we keep joking about. We're like, well, we're not sick of each other yet, so right. Must have done something right. Now we've been able to play through most of our board games now too. We're like, ah, oh, here we are, great. And is this the same husband that you were long distance with when you went to grad school? He was, yeah. Okay. Uh, we've been together, married for uh, going on three years, um, and then going on nine years dating. So. 
Oh, hey, congratulations. Thanks. Almost a decade. <laughs> Huzzah. So did he follow your career or did you just get lucky and he was willing to move to Tulsa? Uh, he was willing to move to Tulsa. So he, we met in uh, undergrad together. Um, he continued to finish his undergrad while I went to grad school. We did a long distance. Once he was done in Fort Smith, he moved up to Kansas City with me. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, we're like, okay, great. My grandma had her old house that she let us use. We were there for a few months and then we up and moved to Tulsa. So, um, he's, he's, uh, kind of feeling the same way I do is like, well, we haven't met anyone in Tulsa except for the people that we work with. Cool. So we're very excited for everyone to get vaccinated and that way we can actually meet people again. Yeah. Um, Oh, and then one last question. Did you ever think about leaving? Because you've kind of stayed in this like central southern part of the country. Did you ever think about leaving and going to New York or Canada or L.A. or I don't know, Uh, south of the border? I've actually done a lot of interviews with um, companies in D.C. and Washington, uh, never Chicago. It's a little too busy for me. Um, Wait, the city itself is too busy? Yes. Okay, don't go to New York then. Yeah, that, that's why I've, I've kind of stayed away. I'm like, mm, it's great to visit. I absolutely love visiting Chicago. I have se- several friends that live there. I don't I don't feel like I need I need more uh, room than Chicago has. <laughs> um, but uh, I've looked at a lot of different places. And ultimately, uh, my husband and I we were talking, we we're like, wherever offers us the job, we'll move to. But it's nice if we can be close to home. So, like, I do have, uh, his parents are still alive and kicking. My parents are still alive and kicking. I have a great grandmother, um, and then grandparents. So it's like, it's, it's nice to actually be close enough to them. So if something does happen, we can drive the two hours. Um, or if they just want to come up and visit, that they can drive the two hours this way once pandemic pending is <laughs> like, um, but yeah, so being close is nice, but it's not necessary. Like we've, I've interviewed with so many companies, especially during that nice pause where I, I had a world of opportunities and no one hiring. <laughs> right, 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 right. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me and for explaining going into de- de- detail about how Tulsa Ballet is performing right now. Yeah, no problem. Um, I'm... I'm just, again, so lucky that we're one of, I think, three ballet companies in the country that are actually being able to perform in front of an uh, audience, which is great. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. Folks, this is Places, Please. Places, Please, folks. Places. This was the ninth episode of Waiting for Places, a podcast highlighting stage managers living and working in the central region of the United States. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. It will help other stage managers find it. Also, make sure to click subscribe so you can get new episodes every Friday through July 9th. This podcast was presented by Ethical Rioting Productions. I am your host, Katrina Herman. This week on Waiting for Places, you heard from Elizabeth Ray. The stage manager calling places was Anthony O. Bullock. This episode was edited by Katrina Herman with graphic design by Nicholas B. Paluha. A huge thank you to Morgan Zupanski, Chris Laporte, and the rest of the Waiting for Places think tank 
Fredo Aguilar, Caitlin Boddy, Mary Hungerford, and Jacqueline Saldana. Stand by for the next episode. Great. Stand by, everyone. Have a good show.